Well, so glad you guys are here. Uh, our little ones can be dismissed at this time. Amanda's right over here taking the kids today. For everyone else, if you would please turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. That's where we'll be for the day. 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 1 still. And if you've got ones that are not real little, we do have sermon notes right out the door here. They're not up front here today, but they are outside if you'd like those as well. You know, and Sam mentioned something when we were down there talking uh, before service and how true it is that for those of you who have young ones at home, how important it is to be having discussions about the things that we talk about here today when we're gathered this is a great platform to go home, take these. It's not only for younger. This is for our whole families. We should be discussing these things together, right? Uh, it shouldn't just be here, but we take this with us, and it breeds discussion, and this is, promotes growth among us, doesn't it? So just want to encourage you in that, okay? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Are you all there with me? All right, great. Now that you're there, just put a bookmark. Uh, I'm going to take you to a couple of the places as we begin, okay? But what, I, what I'd like to do with you this morning is really set, set the stage for uh, a concept as we begin to read starting. Our, our text this morning is 10 through 17 in chapter 1. And as we look through that together, uh, the very first thing we're going to see is that Paul wants this church uh, to agree to not be divided and to be of the same mind together. And we might wonder, all of us, I know many of us, coming from past experiences, specifically with other believers or other it being, being in the midst of other uh, believers in a church setting, we all know that that's an extremely difficult task to ask of us, that you would all agree, that you'd all be of the same mind, and that you would all be unified, thinking the same things together. Um, it is something that in its perfect state, we have yet to experience. Would you all agree with me? Uh, that is something that we have yet to experience, but you know when we will experience in glory, we will experience that, won't we? We will all, from all of our different time periods and cultures and settings and ethnicities and wherever we are, there is a day coming when we will all be of the same mind, giving God glory together, unified perfectly. And what a day that will be, right? But as it stands... We stand here and we feel the effects of not having that mindset yet, don't we? So how do we cope with that? That's what our text is about today, okay? So let's look first. Uh, um, uh, at, we're going to turn to 2 Timothy, uh, if that's where you want to look with me here just for a moment. Chapter 2 specifically. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Our text is in 1 Corinthians, but again, I'm just setting us up for the text. Now, Timothy is about to come and visit the Corinthians, and Paul is going to tell us that in the text, in two different places, actually, he is telling the Corinthian church, because remember, Paul is not there present with them. He's in a different place. He's in Ephesus, which is in Asia Minor, and he is not currently with them. But he said, and he's not, he's not coming very soon to see them. He wants to come to see them, but he knows that in the meantime, he needs someone to come in his place who will teach them just as he teaches and who is that person? Timothy. And so he's sending Timothy, and Timothy is going to teach them. 
So we're looking at 2 Timothy because 2 Timothy is a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. So in this, I just want to make sure that you're following me here. I did a dry run with this with Sam to make sure that my mindset made sense here, okay? The reason that I want you to see what Paul says to Timothy is because Timothy is about to come to Corinth. How was Timothy instructed by Paul, right? What are the expectations on Timothy when he arrives? You all follow me? And we can learn that from, by looking at a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Okay, you follow me on that? And there are some very interesting things here that I want you to see. And it does have a lot to do with this idea of a unified people. Okay, you ready? So I'm going to read out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Kind of a throwback to last week, isn't it? And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I'm saying. The Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. So where is Paul as he's writing this? He's in jail. Why is he in jail? Because he was preaching the gospel, the same thing he's asking Timothy to do. So what is the threat on Timothy right now? That he might be imprisoned as well. And so he says, endure these sufferings as I am. Okay? But don't give up on the teaching. Don't give up on the teaching. Hold fast. For, uh, uh, but he says, even though I am bound, the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. And this may be an early song that was sung that's, that's, that's right here in our text. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words. This is important. I want you to remember this. Remind them of these things. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words. This does no good. It only ruins the hearers. So do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And here, here we have how he might not be ashamed. What is he to do? Rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent battle. It will only lead people into more and more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene, among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened, and they're upsetting the faith of some. All right? I want you to fast forward with me just a bit to chapter 3, verse 10. So we're kind of getting the idea, right, of Paul's charge to Timothy. The expectations on Timothy when he arrives in Corinth are going to be these expectations. That he's enduring these hardships, that he's preaching the word, that he's holding steadfast, that he's reminding the people of all these truths. All these would have been general expectations as Paul trained Timothy that this is what he is to do as he goes about sharing the gospel and building up the churches. Okay? 
Let's look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, persecutions I endured, and yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. And where's he writing this from? Prison. Uh, Okay. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, see, here's the charge to Timothy. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make one wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. And so I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his word and by his appearing and by his kingdom, all that was kind of anticipatory leading up to what he charges him with. What is the charge? Preach the word. Why? Why the word? Why preach the word? Because the word is the thing that is not bound, even if you are bound. The word is the thing that will last. The word is the thing that will equip the people. The word is the thing that will bring unity to the people. The word is the thing that will bring salvation. The word is the thing that you need to be sure of. The word is the thing that we must know. The word is the thing that you must not forsake. The word, give them the word of all these things and all that you do. Please be sure of this one thing. Give them the word of God. This is what we need. And do not forsake it. Do not think that they need something other than the word of God. This is what they need. This is what you need. This is what I need. What do we need? The word of God. You must have it. You need it. We need it. Be ready. Well, when do I give them the word? Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching for... The time is coming when people will not endure this. They will not endure this sound teaching. They will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth. They'll wander off into myths. But as for you, as for you, be sober-minded and endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. So ultimately, at the end, what is his charge? His charge is to give the people the word of God and to do it with confidence and boldness and yet with love and patience and endurance, knowing that this is what the people need and he has been entrusted with it to give it to the people. Okay, so when Timothy comes to Corinth, what do you think is on his mind to do? To give them the word. Do you, now, the, the book of 2 of Timothy is written probably 12 years after the book of 1 Corinthians, just so you know. But what I'm saying to you is, Paul has not changed his mind on how he trains ministers of the gospel. Okay? But what we see here is that this is Paul's mindset for building people up into the ministry. And what is his goal? What is their priority? To give people the word. And he's encouraging them as he's in prison for preaching the gospel, preach the gospel and endure sufferings just as I am. But be sure, don't shrink back from giving them the word. I want you to know that here, it is our goal that we might not shrink back from giving you the word of God. We take that very seriously. And we want that for you because we believe that this is what God has for you. This is the thing that we rally around. 
Some of you are older than me. Some of you are younger than me. Some of you are from the north or the west or the east or from the south of the United States. Okay, we're all from different places. Some of you are not from the United States. Okay. Some of you like things that I don't like. Some of you love a certain style of music. Some of you hate that same style of music, okay? There are things that we like and dislike. Okay, we are different people, yes. But there is some, so what I'm saying is, in the midst of a people who are so different, how can we all agree and be thinking about the same things and, and not having disunity among us when we're so different? Do you see what I'm saying? How is it that we can be unified and yet so diverse? There is something that we are unified in and by, and that is the Word of God. It is our standard. It is our rallying point. This is where we go and this is where we are unified. And so, although we can have differences, guess what we have as our foundation? We are unified at our foundation that our guiding principles and concepts and what we believe is true and what we believe is false and how we are to live as believers, do you know that that's true? That is our overriding guiding principles and yet even in, in, uh, underneath that, we still have differences and yet we are unified. Does this all make sense? What is it that's going to unify us? Now, we can make a lot of attempts, can't we? I know something that will unify us. Let's do this event or have this thing or I got a cute idea of how to unify us. Now, I'm not saying that those things in themselves are bad. We've done some of those cute little things, right? That's not bad in itself. That's all I'm saying. But ultimately, what we need to be unified is a same mind, a same emphasis, a same focus. And where does that new mind come from? How is it shaped? How do we think? Where does that come from? Where does our thinking come from? It is molded, it is shaped by the word of God, empowered by the spirit of God. Is this true? Is what I'm saying to you true? Yes, but do you feel in yourself where this is not yet fully true? <laughs> right, isn't that what we know to be true? Uh, we know that it's not yet fully true, but it is, it is the goal that it might be true. Okay, you with me? Um. Just two more passages before we get to our main text. I just want to continue pressing in on this just for a moment so that we are ready with that, equipped with that as we read our text, okay? Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Let me read that for you. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. It says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body until we all obtain to, what's that next word? Unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Let's look at that again. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, that's a particular kind of work right there, right? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, 
all until we, what, attain unity. And how do we attain that unity? To, to, uh, with the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. And he continues, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Okay, do you see what it is that inhibits our growth? Do you see what it is that inhibits our unity? That the thing right here that he just said, because you're children and when waves come and the waves specifically are waves of false doctrine, that knock us to and fro and we're never able to get our grounding and grow. And what are we growing up into? Maturity in Christ, yes, but the unity of the faith together. That's what we're growing up into, the unity of the faith together. Together, togetherness, unity in the faith. And much of this is about doctrine and the word of God and the truthfulness therein. What is it that unifies us? What ought we to be seeking out together? I hope the answer is, is coming into clearer focus. I told you two more. This is the second of the two. Hebrews 4.12. You know it. You probably don't have to turn to it. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, the word of God is also known as what? The sword of the spirit. Do you know that to be true? Right? Did you, when you were young, have the sword that you got you, like, I remember this saying, you got your sword with you? Where's your sword? And, you know, all the kids. Yeah. So the Bible's a weapon then. Is that the right message? We weaponize the Bible. It's a sword, right? Uh, I, I don't know. I think maybe we're thinking about that maybe in the wrong terms. It is true that it is the sword of the Spirit. About the, the Word of God says so. It says that about itself. But what does that mean? I just want you to think about it with me for a second, and then we're getting to our text. Because the Word of God is the thing that unifies us. How does it do that? Because if I am convincing enough to you, hear me in my tone, if I am convincing enough, if I speak well enough, if I'm, a, if I'm a good enough motivational speaker to get you to all think the way that I think, then we can have unity together. Because I'm really trusting that I am a fantastic speaker and that I can really get people motivated and convinced of something. Is that the goal? Obviously not. Why is the Bible, the Word of God, called the sword of the Spirit? Well, it depends on how you're thinking of this. Is, is, is the Word of God a sword in my hand that came from the Spirit? It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the sword from the Spirit that it is in my hand, and I thrust it. That's the wrong way of thinking about it, actually. The Bible is, is the sword of the Spirit. That is true. That it is, it is the sword that the Spirit wields. It is his sword because it thrusts into us and it divides, right? It cuts deep into us. Can I make the word of God cut deep into you today so as to be unified with other believers in a like-minded fashion? Can I make you do that today? No, can any speaker make you do that? No, so is it me then that is thrusting the sword into you? Now we use the sword, but who is it that actually makes it go deep into your heart and your mind? 
the Spirit of God because it is His sword. Right? It's the sword of the Spirit. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So we rely upon the Spirit of God to do the convicting of hearts and minds as we focus our attention on His Word together. And as the Spirit convicts, what is He doing? He is building us up into maturity. He is unifying us in the faith. All that makes sense? Now let's look at our text. Verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Loaded with that baggage, okay? Let's look at our text. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you might be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, how is it that we are to attain this type of unity? How do we get that? I, I, would you agree with me that we have all at times pursued this unity through other means than what is intended? We have tried to become a unified people over common interest, right? Or different things like that. We have tried to maintain a unity among us, but the unity among us is produced by the word of God and the power of the spirit of God that we might be of the same thinking truly. And what is that same thinking? The same thinking of the word of God. That we might be united in the way that we process the world around us, right? We might be united in saying that this thing is sin. Do we all agree that that thing is sin? Do we all agree that we want to not do that thing together? And is there unity in that? Yes, this is what we're talking about, that we're evaluating all things in our life together. And if we are doing that, guess what will not happen? That we won't be divided. And this is the type of division that he's talking about. And he's saying, I appeal to you. That word appeal is, is, is it's, it's a really good visual word. It, it means to call alongside, okay? He's saying, listen, I, I want you to call, I want to call you alongside of me and just listen, let's do this together. I'm appealing to you. Come, come with me in this. And he's saying, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what other name can I appeal to? I want you to all agree, please. Wait, agree about everything? Agree about everything? Must we agree about everything? Right? Some of you say it's hot in this room right now. Some of you say, I am freezing to death. Okay? Must we agree? Now, if I take it to an extreme, you already know the answer, right? But what about those, there are areas that are gray in a sense, right? It's not black, it's not white, it's kind of gray. Must we agree on that? Ah, that's tricky, isn't it? Can we agree on that? There are some areas that it's like, must we agree on that to be unified? But you know, Paul also admitted that there is a difference among us, and yet even if we can have differences, we can still be unified. Do you remember that? Um, one of the things, and actually we're going to address that here soon. A lot of that stuff comes up in 1 Corinthians, but take, for example, the whole meat sacrifice to idols situation, okay? Some believe that you can eat that because there are no demons anyway, no real uh, gods, and so what does it matter if I eat this meat because it wasn't sacrificed to any real god because there are no other real gods. So what does it matter if I eat this meat? Other people used to worship that god, and they say, no, 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 I, I can't do that. Okay, that, that's one example. And another example is some people said one day was more holy than others. Other people said, no, every day is alike. He said, listen, don't you see that a division over that issue is not what we're talking about. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind of that matter. Just be unified in your judgment. And what is our judgment? 
our judgment is that there is freedom of difference. Now, if we think there is no difference to be found among us, and we say we must all think the same thing about everything, and when we don't, I'm out of here. And all of you came from a different church because our church is only like eight years old. So you used to be part of another church at one point and you left. Okay? Now, some of you say, yeah, but it's because I moved. Okay. Maybe you left another church before then. Okay? You have, a, you have a similar mindset of me though, right? We understand what I'm saying, even if that's not absolutely true of you. There are things that come up and some of those things we say, yes, we must divide over that because that is not faithful to the word. Right? There are other things we say, it's not really how I like to do things, but you know what, I, uh, uh, and I may even not see it from that perspective, but is that something worth dividing over? Is Christ divided? Should his body be divided? Should we divide? Should we be quick to divide or should we be slow to divide? Answer, slow. Our human nature says, quick, get me out of here. That's the human nature that says, get me out of here. And a lot of times it's our human nature when sin is confronted in our own life. I don't think that's bad. I'm out of here. <laughs> if you're going to tell me that that thing is sinful, well, let's, let's just take a step here. Maybe I was a little too harsh saying that. Okay? Can you give me grace and allow us to move forward? Well, I don't know. Right? Oh, okay. Let's go back to last week then maybe, right? Should we be a people of grace? Yes. Should you be gracious with me? Should I be gracious with you? And should we seek for unity? And should we be slow to divide? And the thing that unifies us is what? The word of God. Let's all rally around the word together and find unity. Can we do that? Yeah, this is what I would like. Would you like this as well? To be unified in the word? Yes. But you know what? Paul also said in this same thing, I, I alluded to it, that there is an acceptable form of division and because he said, now I hear there are divisions among you. That, that word, you're going to recognize it, okay? It, schismata. Sounds like schism, right? That's where the word comes from. It means division. It means to break up into different groups that are opposed to one another, right? You think this way, you think this way, you think this way, and we're divided. We might actually either call that, uh, we could potentially call that denominations, Right? Isn't, are those schisms within the body of Christ? I would say yes, they are. So you might call that denominations, or you might call that cliques within the church, right? You guys have your thing over here, and you guys have your thing over here, and you have your thing over there, and you don't really associate with this group over here. That's insane that it would ever be that way. I don't know if insane is too harsh a word or not. That's the word I went with, okay? It's crazy that we would be divided. Is Christ divided? Is his body to be divided? Where are we at? Okay, he says. I hit all that enough. Let's move on from that. All right. We are to agree. This word agree, I just want to tell you about a little bit, is the, the, wor the word means to say the same thing. And if you have a KJV, it, I think it says, say the same thing. You ought to be saying the same thing. Um, it is translated for many of us as you all should agree. Okay? Say the same thing about what? Now, he's about to tell us that they were saying things that were not the same thing. I want you all to be saying the same thing 
about these things, right? Now, if we are saying the same thing about those things, what does that translate to? Where do your words come from? Your thinking, right? If you're saying something about something, it's because you thought about it and you produced a sound out of your mouth. That's called talking, okay? And what we're saying has been produced from what we think. Now, sometimes as fallen human beings, we don't properly communicate what we actually think. Sometimes we don't know what we think, but we talk anyway. Okay, that's where we need to refrain. Okay, we need to have self-control. Okay? And so, but as we talk, we are saying things. And as we are saying things, it translates to what we think about those things. And what Paul wants for them is that as you say things, you ought to be saying the same things of necessary things that you might all agree and not produce schisms within you. Because if we speak harshly about a thing that we ought not to be divided about, what does it create among us? Schisms, factions, groups, cliques, right? And wouldn't we rather be quick to unify rather than divide? And if there is something that is causing division that is not like a difference between believer, unbeliever, or very significant doctrinal issues such as our statement of faith issues, right? Then we ought to be very considerate of those things And I just want to appeal to you that if you have particular issues that you're wondering, is this a serious, significant division issue? Or is this a matter of we can agree to disagree issue? And you don't know. You have elders here who want to help you walk through that. Please come and talk to us about that. We want to talk about that. Isn't that a good thing to talk about? So that we might walk through and say, what does the word of God have to say? Because that is our rallying point after all, is it not? So we look to the word of God for how we might unify over this issue. Can we unify over this? Can we agree to disagree? You you all follow me? Are these things that you ever think about? Is this very practical? I think that it is. I think that it is. Okay, so they were all saying something. What were they saying? Verse 11. It's only 1140? We're We're doing great. I expected to look up and it'd be 12 o'clock. So sometimes that happens. Sometimes I just slip into like a black hole or something. I don't know what happens. And I look up and it's like 12, 10. I don't, I don't even know how that happened. Okay, all right. What do we do? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 11. It says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Pause right there. So he wants to appeal to them to be unified. How does he know they're not already unified? Because there was a report brought to him. By who? By Chloe's people. Do you know who Chloe's people are? I don't either. Nobody knows who they are. No one knows who Chloe's people are. Best thing we can do is guess, okay? But it means someone associated with this person, Chloe, who probably had a good standing. A lot of that times means they were a more wealthy person. A lot of times that means that they had servants who would go and do traveling and trading for them. And they came across Paul as they were doing traveling and trading for this person, Chloe, who belongs to the church in Corinth follow that? Most likely, it seems that we can make a guess like that, that it's a companion, a business associate or a servant of Chloe and happened to be in Asia Minor doing trading and said, hey, I just want to tell you about something that's going on back at the church. So a report was brought to Paul about this, and Paul is now going to speak about this report from here all the way through the end of chapter three is all related to this report. So quarreling in the church is going to be the issue in the text from now until the end of chapter 3. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, there's a new report, okay? And that report is about immorality in the church. 
And so then he starts talking about the reports he heard about immorality in the church. Okay, but here we are. That kind of gets some good context there of what we're talking about. But it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, quarreling. What it literally says, it's not a verb, it's a, it's a noun. I hear that there are quarrels among you. There are quarrels. It's not necessarily quarreling, although if there are quarrels, quarreling's happening, right? But it's more so about the thing itself. There are quarrels. That, I hear that there are quarrels. You're divided. And you shouldn't be divided over these things. Don't be divided. Be unified. And how do we unify? Over the word. Quarreling. What is quarreling? What are quarrels? You ever been in a quarrel with someone? You say, I was in a quarrel. With, I don't know that I've ever said that. Uh, I, I quarreled with them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start adding that to my vocabulary more often. Quarrels. We all know what quarrels are, a very basic word in a sense, but we all know that quarrel is a translation of something that is found in the Greek and, and many times in specific words. We want to make sure we know what we're talking about. What was it for them? So sometimes in English translations, you're going to have different words used. A word that might be used here is strife or contentions, okay? Those are different types of translations of this word. Quarrels, strife, we don't say strifes, right? But that's how it would be translated. Among you, strife among you, divisions. Strifes cause divisions, don't they? Is his main point here that when these verbal issues come up, because remember they were all saying something and they were saying different things, and he's saying, when these things come out of your mouth, just zip your mouth. Just stop quarreling. Just stop talking about those things. Just, right? Zip it. Right? I'm pretty sure my, I don't know why that's stuck in me. My mom used to say that to me. Zip it. Right? I think my sister used to say that to me, actually. Zip it. You know, do the thing we throw the key away. You know, you can't unlock it. Just remain zipped. Is that all he has in mind? That they would just stop talking? I think that would be childish to think that way. If that's all he had in mind. Right? It would be immature to think that way. That's not a, that's not a mature thought. To think all he has in mind is just modify the words that come out of your mouth. And if you can't, just don't say anything at all. And that's fine. If you do that, we're all good. No, what, what's actually happening here is that there was a real heart issue and these quarrels were the result of the heart issue. Do you see that? Do you, you know that with you, with all of us, there are things that we do. It's like, that thing's not great. I shouldn't do that. But is it just the thing itself that you just need to cut off or is it stemming from a heart issue? No, that's what it is, isn't it? It's ultimately coming from a disposition within yourself. So it's the disposition that must be changed. It's the heart issue that must be changed, right? We all know the behavior modification side of things. Oh, don't do that? Okay, I'll, I won't quarrel with you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am quarreling with you in my mind still. I know all the things I want to say to you about that, right? But I'm going to be the bigger person here, and I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. That's not the idea. The idea is that we might change the disposition of our hearts, that quarreling is not even something that might be produced from within us about these things. That when we are making judgments, we are all of the same mindset. 
that we are all rallying around the same thing together. And within our many issues and faults and things like that, we are sinners, that when we are not and quarrels are produced, what should we do when we do quarrel and we realize that we shouldn't have? It's very basic, very basic. We should go to the other person and say, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have quarreled with you about that. Please forgive me. Now, is that really easy to say, really hard to do? We all agree? So, if you approach someone and say that, you know this was very difficult for them to do, (laughs) right? And when you are approached by someone, right? We know that was hard. When you approach someone, listen, we know that it's going to be hard. Everyone knows that that's a difficult thing to do because what are you having to do? You're having to admit that you were wrong. And when you admit that you're wrong, what does that do within your standing, right? That, oh man, that just hurt my pride. (laughs) You know, like I'm never wrong, right? You all know that about me. I'm just, I'm never wrong. Never. I mean, come on. We don't think that about anybody, do we? I hope not. But who are we most prone to think that about? Ourself. Never wrong, right? Everybody is prone to that type of thinking. But you are wrong, and so am I. And we can admit that, and we can have grace on one another when you are wrong, and you do quarrel, but we need to make sure that we're, we're rectifying the situation. To say, I shouldn't have done that, and keep that to yourself without seeking out forgiveness from your brother or sister shouldn't shouldn't go undone okay shouldn't go undone so there's a heart issue and what i was going to detail out for you i don't know that i need to detail it out i can summarize it for you that paul this word for strife or quarrels right here paul uses it nine times and it's only used nine times in our entire new testament actually and paul uses them paul's the one that uses it every time six of those times six of those times he uses it in partnership with another word the word he uses it in partnership with is jealousy. Envy, same word, jealousy. I, I'll give you just uh, one example because it's coming up in chapter three. Just look at chapter three, 1 Corinthians chapter three. Remember, what is he talking about in chapter three? The same thing he's talking about right here because he's talking about this up and all the way through chapter three. So listen to what he says. Chapter 3, verse 3. For you are still of the flesh, while there is jealousy and strife. Guess what that word is right there? Our same word for quarrels earlier. Same word. Jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and only behaving in a human way? Why are you behaving as humans, humans? Because we should not be behaving in a purely human way because we are not purely human in that sense because we have not only our human spirit, but the divine spirit living in us. And our life should reflect that. Isn't that true? Our life should be reflective of the divine spirit that is in us. If we are acting merely human, something is wrong. If we're acting merely human, because we have something greater at work. But he puts these two terms in, in, uh, together in partnership six times as he's writing. He does it in 2 Corinthians 12, Romans 13, Galatians 5, 1 Timothy 6, the passage I read earlier. It's right there. Jealousy and quarreling. And what he's saying is, this internal issue of jealousy is what's producing your quarrels. 
And that's what's at work here with the Corinthian church and many times with us. What is the issue that causes the quarrels among us? Jealousy. And you might say, but how is that jealousy? Jealousy? I'm not jealous. Envious. Same word. Are you envious maybe? It's the same thing. Oh, well, maybe envious, but not jealous. They're the same, they're the same concept, okay? Uh, one produces the other, uh, and that's how it works. And this internal disposition of jealousy works itself out. How? In making divisions among us. Why do we make divisions? Is because you believe that what you believe is superior to them. And the reason I want to separate from you is because I want to be superior to you. That's how it works. It is jealousy that is the issue. Envy, that is the issue that makes us divide. I'm going to take you to one place, and we're lumping 12 through 17 all together because it's a kind of a singular thought. But before we look at those final passage, those final verses, I want to take you to this one short place, and that is James 3. Just look quickly with me at James 3, 13 through 18, because James uses these two words again together in partnership, jealousy and strife, or quarrels, divisions. He uses them together in partnership because he's talking about the same thing. But what do we know about James? James is very different than Paul in the way that he talks, okay? In the way that he processed things, those guys are very different. But guess what? They are unified even though they are different, okay? They're saying the same thing. But James says it in such a way, I I think it's very practical to us. It's very practical to us. James 3, 13 through 18. I want you to raise your hand at this next question if it's true. Who is wise and understanding among you? Okay. Inside, maybe you raised your hand. See, that's actually the issue, isn't it? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, if you truly are wise, your conduct will prove it. And what kind of conduct ought we to have? If you truly think you are wise... What sort of conduct ought to flow out of that? Jealousy and envy and quarrels? So if you are jealous with envy in your heart producing quarrels within the church, does it prove something? Proves that you're not very wise right now. You're not acting in wisdom. That's what it proves. And that's what he goes on to say. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but this is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, in Paul's words, human. Right? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, do you see them there together? There will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that is from above, here's the opposite of it, is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, sincere, does that create a culture of unity? Maybe I'll read them again. You weren't sure. The wisdom from above is pure. Um, Just imagine a church like this, okay? Can you imagine a people gathered together that all of this is true, that we are a pure people? We are a peaceable people. We are all gentle We are all open to reason. We are all full of mercy and good fruit. And we are impartial and we are sincere. What kind of church is that? That is a unified church. Is that your heart? Is that your desire? Is that who we should be? 
I hope it is your desire. And if that is our desire, guess what all of a sudden just happened? What just happened? We're all thinking the same thing. Do you see it? If we can all be convinced from Scripture that these things are true, guess what it does to our minds? It renews our minds, it renews our thinking, and it creates unity among us as we think and process all these ideas together. That's what happens. And so we begin thinking the same things, thinking the same thoughts, pursuing the same concepts together. This is what we do. And this is good. So jealousy, selfish ambition, those heart conditions, they lead to quarrels, right? Um, so here's what was happening for them. It's super easy to understand, and it's quick. Okay, look at it with me. 1 Corinthians 12. Right, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 12. That's better. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. And we're going to read 12 through 17. Just let's get it as a full thought there, okay? It says, here's what I mean. Each of you says, see, they were saying something, and they all need to be saying the same thing, but as it is, they're saying different things, and here's the things they're saying. I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or, well, I follow Cephas, or, well, I follow Christ. I mean, which, which one of those is best? It, Paul's big question here is this. Is Christ divided? Answer, what's the implied answer? No. Was Paul crucified for you? Implied answer, no. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And again, implied answer is all the same. That's how it works. And the answer is no. And then he says, well, uh, let me add a little asterisk about that. Um, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius so that none of you say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, also, I did baptize the house of Stephanus, uh, but beyond that, I know of, uh, that I baptized no one else. Okay, that's like a big asterisk to that last implied no question. Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? No. Well, hang on, take that back. Crispus and Gaius were baptized by me. Okay, but, but oh, also Stephanus was also baptized, the household, the household of Stephanus was baptized by me. Okay, but beyond that, I know of no one that was baptized in my name, and I'm thankful for that. Why? Because your church is full of people who wants to name drop and divide over leaders. Stop. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying to them. And he's saying it. Do you hear his tone here? One of you says, I follow Apollos. One of you says, I follow Paul. One of you says, I follow Cephas. Do you hear his tone here? This is how he was saying it. Actually, they're not all phrased the same way. And some, some, uh, some people would say this. Some scholars say it's like, it, these are like political rallying cries. Like, I'm for Paul. And one says, well, for me, I'm an Apollos man. And it's like, I have the t-shirt. Look, and it's like, I'm, and, and so like all the Apollos people are over here. All the Paul people are over here. And all the, whatever the, Cep you know, Cephas is just Peter's Aramaic name. And the Peter people are over there. And so it's like, the, there are all our groups. And here we all are together with our own rallying cries together. And you know how it is. Let's think of our, our, our government. And someone from the, from the podium says one thing, and this group stands up, and they say, yay, and it pans over to the other people, and what are they doing? It's the worst thing I've ever heard. And then he says something else, and then this side stands up, and they're like, yay, and these people are like, oh, no, I don't think so. Unity? No. Do quarrels and divisions among us? Uh, is that a good thing? Well, when you have as your rallying point not a speaker, but the word of God, guess what happens? Unity. 
when it is not a person that you are rallying around, is this church rallying around me? I hope not. And if that is your mindset, though, I'm an Eric person myself. Please don't. Please do not do that. Or maybe this hits more home. I'm a MacArthur person myself. Oh, me? I'm with Sproul. I'm a Wesley person myself. Well, I'm with Calvin. Oh, those, those just rang true. I follow Christ. And I treasure his word. And now I recognize there are going to be differences among us, but I am not quick to divide. I want to be quick to have mercy. I want to be quick to unify. I want to be quick to not do these things and create quarrels and unnecessary divisions among us. That's what I want to be quick to do. Are, are you of the same mind as me? I want to be of the same mind as you, but I want our mindset all to be geared toward and filtered through the word of God. Are we on the same page? I think we understand. How is this jealousy? Did you think about that? How is it jealousy to say, well, I'm for Paul, or I'm for Apollos, I'm for Peter. How is that jealousy? Well, within their culture, here's how it was working. In their culture, it was very much an honor-shame society. Okay? And... In the honor-shame society, it is those who are of greater class, greater standing, and at their time, a thing that was highly praised in values was rhetorical ability, okay? If someone was a fabulous speaker, people saw them as greatly praised. There is nothing more valuable at that time in history. Do you remember how close uh, Athens was, by the way, to Corinth? They are basically sharing a geographical region, to be an eloquent speaker of wisdom was highly prized and valued in that society. So what you want to do as a subculture of that society, the church, is to find your wise speaker, your eloquent speaker, and attach yourself to them. And when you attach yourself to someone who is valued and prized, guess what it does to you? It makes you valued. It, it, it's all about my standing. You see, it's not about the leader's. It's about what the people were doing to the leaders for self-promotion and glorification. That was the issue. That's why it's jealousy and strife dividing them. That's the problem. They wanted to be greater than the person next to them, and this was causing divisions among them. Do you see it? And in that way, jealousy was uh, controlling some situations there. But just please remember with me, as we're talking about these things, don't hear me more harsh than the text is saying it. Because he still called them a church. He still called them believers. He still was for them. He was just coming alongside them and said, I, I, I am begging you on behalf of the name of Christ. Don't let this be the case anymore. He's pleading with them. I'm doing the same thing with you this morning. I'm doing the same thing with myself this morning. Okay? We are all in it together. He says, for Christ, look at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with eloquent words of wisdom. Now, that might make sense with what I just told you, right? Not with eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. How would the cross of Christ be emptied of its power through eloquent speech? Because all of a sudden, you rally around, you get together, 
right? And you say, oh man, now that guy can talk. That's a, that guy is a good speaker. I love listening to him. I'm, it's the, everything that comes out of his mouth. I'm writing down everything he's saying. It's like, oh, you made me laugh. You made me, you made me cry. You made me angry. You made, you, man, you, you, you took me all through the emotions. I loved it. I was so entertained. I loved it. You really held my attention. You know how to captivate an audience, don't you? Wonderful. None of that saves you. None of that unifies a church. None of that is the thing that is giving glory to God. Now, does it mean that you can't be or you shouldn't be working on being a speaker that speaks well? That's not what I'm saying. Of course, I work on it. I'm still working on it. Why am I still pursuing my education? Because I think I don't do this very well and I want to do better. So I am working on it as well. Does it mean I shouldn't? Oh, you're working on your eloquent wisdom there, are you? Huh? You want people to like you, do you? This is all about the book you got coming out, isn't it? it no, no. But is it wrong for me to write a book? No. I'm not, by the way. Well, I mean, kind of, if you want to call a dissertation a book, maybe. But, like, I'm, that's not what I'm doing. That's not the point. Because Paul, or God, just as Paul, God did not send me to preach the gospel with eloquent wisdom. Because if what you're rallying around is a person and speaking ability and engagement and the fact whether they can captivate an audience or not, that is how the cross of Christ is emptied of its power. I'll just give you a quick story here. I'll end this way. Some years ago, uh, I was asked many, how many years ago was that? Maybe 14 years ago. I'd probably been married for a a year, so maybe 13 years ago, okay? 13 years ago. I was asked to do music for a, uh, let's call it a revival. I don't, know what, I don't know what it was. I was asked to do music for this revival-ish type thing, okay? And it was in, if you think Sparta is removed, you don't even know this place, okay? It was population 300 people, okay? This is where I live. This was my context. This is where my first church was, Okay? And I was doing music at that point. I just picked up the guitar, started playing it, and someone said, hey, you want to come do music? I think they called it, we're going to have a hymn sing and revival, right? And they said, why don't you, why don't you come do, play some music for us? And I said, okay. And in, in that situation, actually, I, 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 I wanted Amanda to come and be with me. We didn't have any kids. I said, I'm going to teach you how to play bass. You can play bass with me. And, and she did. She did it. Ask her about it. She loves it. She thinks she's famous because she did it, Right? <laughs> So she said, for a moment, because they paid us, and she said, I was a professional bass player. I got paid to play the bass. I said, you were, for a time. Right. <clears throat> so anyway, I'm telling you this story because the speaker came in the first night, okay? And uh, the feeling in the room was, oh, boy. This is not going to be good, guys. This is... He was, his shirt was all weirdly hanging out. He just, his hair was a mess. He just, he was a big, big guy. And like, everyone was like, you know, I don't, (laughs) we'll put more, more hope in tomorrow's guy, right? Uh, He came up and he just, in the most humble way, he said, you know what? I had something prepared tonight, but based on, uh, the songs that we've been singing and what we're doing tonight. Let's, let's talk about the word of God. Let's talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the most humble way, he shared the gospel with those people, and it was wonderful. 
Now the other guy they had, really well dressed, came in in a suit and uh, spoke what he had prepared from written notes. And not that there was no truth value to it. It's not my point. My point was there was a judgment made about the person delivering the message. Do you see it? It has nothing to do with that because Paul will soon say, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Servants through whom you believed because it is not the speaker that sticks the sword into your heart. It is the spirit of God himself, right? So this church was having issues with that, weren't they? Now we see that it's a heart issue and even if that's not the issue for us, have we derived that principle that causes that? And we can apply it to other things, can't we? And I hope that that's what you're doing. And I hope that this week in your groups that this is part of your discussion. Talking about when jealousy creates division in the church and how we ought to be a people that are not like that for Christ's sake. Because is Christ divided? No. Should his body be divided? If it is his body, should it be divided? Answer? No. And that's the heart of it, isn't it? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the power that it has. Thank you for the promise of working as your gospel is preached, as your word is preached, that you, by your spirit, would bring about right application, right understanding, conviction of sin, and encouragement to righteousness, that you would produce hope within us, that you would help us to be a people of grace and mercy and peace and unity, and at the same time, standing true for the gospel. And we would not be a people of compromise. And yet we would be full of grace. Help us to balance those things together that we might be a humble, unified people in your name for Christ's sake. This is what we want. This is our heart. Help us to be unified in this thinking that we might be of the same mind, the same thinking, that we might be saying the same things, that we might agree, and that those things are built upon the foundation of a right understanding of the word of God that you have given us. And we know that it is only by your spirit that that can come to pass. And so we pray that you, by your spirit, would do that work in us today as your word has been taught. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.